Well, amen. Thank you so much, Wayne and choir, for leading us in such a wonderful time of worship. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and find Jeremiah chapter 17. And while you're staying there, start turning there, I would like to just say thank you to First Baptist Church for your continual support of the Etowah Baptist Association. Uh, we are grateful for your continued encouragement and support of us. And while most of you know that as the director of missions for Etowah Baptist Association, I'm in a different church almost uh, every Sunday. And while I represent the Etowah Baptist Association, I also represent First Baptist Church because you are my church. While I do not have signage in my car that says First Baptist Gadsden member on board, <laughs> or a bumper sticker saying, follow me to First Baptist, most people know where the director of missions goes to church. And I'm always proud to tell them that I am a member of First Baptist Church of Gadsden. I'm also grateful to you because of the way you received Tammy, my wife. Uh, Tammy feels comfortable enough here because you have welcomed her to come by herself uh, from time to time. And goodness knows after 35 years, she's heard all my sermons. And so she gets to come here and enjoy your fellowship, and we are grateful for that. Today I want to bring you a message entitled, To Whom Shall We Turn? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh-born pastor, physician, longtime minister at Westminster Chapel in London, said these words several years ago. He says, this is the glory of the Word of God. It is always up to date. It is always relevant. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, if you would, to stand with me as I read our text this morning and see if you can pick up on the relevance of this word today. Beginning in Jeremiah chapter 17 in verse 1. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their asherim. By green trees on the high hills, O mountain of mine in the countryside, I will give over your wealth and your treasures for booty, your high places for sin throughout your borders. And you will, even of yourself, let go of your inheritance that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in the land which you do not know, for you have kindled a fire in my anger which will burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. As a partridge that hatches eggs which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days it will forsake him, and in the end where he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Jeremiah is a portrait of the death of a nation. As you read the book of Jeremiah, it happens right before your very eyes. The kingdom of Judah slowly falls apart under the infection of evil which has spread across the face of their land from the king down to the common people. By the time we get to chapter 17, it has been heading toward the inevitable climax of the judgment of God. The invasion of the nation, the overthrow of the kingdom. Now this did not come about suddenly. Jeremiah's ministry has lasted over 40 years by this time. And God's patient in his waiting. He waits throughout that time for any inkling, any hint of a last second repentance. But the nation persisted in its evil. In spite of the warnings and the preaching of this faithful man of God, they continue to wander away from God and reject him. In many ways, we are facing the parallel of this in our day. We, too, are facing continually worsening times. The primary message of the book of Jeremiah is how to face an increasingly cruel and tough world. So how do we do that? If the world is becoming increasingly evil, if the world is becoming increasingly tough, it begs the question, to whom do we turn? God's response to the continual wickedness of the people is actually found in chapter 16 of Jeremiah, verse 21, where the word says, "Therefore, therefore behold, I am going to make them know. This time, I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. This verse indicates that at least for Judah, the only way that the men men and women and the people of Judah are going to turn and return to God is if there is just a complete and utter collapse of everything that they have put their trust in. It seems that the only way that God can get our attention is to take away the things that we are trusting in rather than Him. We are consistent in our resistance of our trust of God. We are consistent in our resistance to rely upon Him for what we need and 
to meet the needs that we have. And we, as we do that, as we remain consistent in that, we find ourselves continually in trouble. We find ourselves continually falling apart, and then our eyes are open. Then we see God, and we see his power, his power and his might, and we see his love. This is the condition of the nation of Judah in Jeremiah chapter 17, and I'm afraid that it is a, a very apt description of where you and I are today in this world and this culture in which we live. Let me make just a few points this morning from this text that I hope that we will diligently apply to our personal lives. The first thing I want us to see is that judgment is coming. I'm talking about Judah. Judgment is coming, and they are going to experience God's power for two reasons. The text tells us why. First of all, it tells us they will experience God's power because their evil is deeply entrenched. Look again at verse 1. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus, with a diamond point. It is engraved upon the tablet of their heart on the horns of their altars. It's engraved with an iron stylus that has a diamond point. It's engraved upon their hearts. That sounds pretty permanent, doesn't it? It sounds like the evil is, in, is entrenched. It's not only there on their hearts, but it's on the horns of their, of their altars. Jeremiah is telling us here that Judah's sin is so deeply entrenched in the, in the nation that nothing short of judgment is going to break it loose. We too live in a day where we are entrenched in evil and, and sin. We see it in our culture. It permeates every strata of our, of our society. It is written on the heart with an iron stylus. It seems as if there's no way out. It's, it's there. It's engraved. No one can, how's it going to be erased? How can it be scratched out? To whom do we turn? There's a second way that Judah's eyes will be open, and that is because their evil is infectious. The evil is deeply entrenched, but it also tells us that the evil is infectious. Look at verse 2. Look at what Jeremiah writes in verse 2. He says, as they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their asherim. By green trees on the high hills, O mountain of mine, and the countryside. You know what this is saying? This is saying that the next generation is being impacted by the evil of that day. It's telling us that if this remains the case, if, if this trend continues, that it's only going to get worse. Therefore, the hand of God must move in judgment. And he closes out this section by saying, and look at the second part of, of verse 3, I will give over your wealth and all your treasures for booty, your high places for sins throughout your borders. And you will even of yourself let go of your inheritance that I gave you. And I will make you serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in, a fire in my anger which will burn forever. At this point, God begins to teach Jeremiah some profound life lessons. 
Remember, for 40 years, Jeremiah's been teaching and preaching the message of God that God had given him. Remember back in Jeremiah chapter 1, God told Jeremiah, he said, I'm going to put this message in your heart, and I'm going to be there with you to help you deliver it. He tells him, and he's very descriptive in, in his presence in Jeremiah's life, but Jeremiah has been preaching this message for 40 years plus, to no avail. The people continue to respond with their evil ways, so much so that it's being passed down to the next generation and the next generation. It's, it's infiltrating the future. So God begins to open Jeremiah's eyes to some new truths about humanity. Lessons that you and I may not often think about, but yet we need to hear and we need to learn. If we want to understand this day in which we live and what is happening in this tumultuous and turbulent hour, we have to understand what God now teaches Jeremiah. And there are two lessons that Jeremiah must learn, and so should we. The first lesson is to show Jeremiah the two ways by which man can live. Do you know that there are two ways by which you and I can choose to live? Never both. Never both, always one or the other at any time. You can't combine the two. There's, you're either doing one or you're doing the other, not a combination of both. And he says there are two ways by which man can live. First of all, he tells him, he says, man can trust in man. Look at what he says in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here's a man who trusts in man, who says that man is the ultimate solution to his own problems, who says that it lies with man to work out all the difficulties of life and to save himself. Have you ever tried this? Of course you have. We all have. And there are many who are still trying it, perhaps even some here this morning. And the Word of God tells us that the man who trusts in man, he says, he is cursed. Cursed is that man. What God is saying here is that everything he does ultimately will be brought to nothing. When the Bible uses the word curse, it is saying it is removing the profit, the worth, the value of anything. Man who trusts in man has no value, has no staying power, has no ability to overcome what this world will bring against him. He may think he can, he may think he can figure it out, he may think that he can conjure up a plan that would deliver him from the oppression of this world, but the scripture says no, he cannot, he is cursed. And the symbol of that man, according to Jeremiah, is is really interesting. Look at what he says in verse 6. For he would be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt, without inhabitant. I want to ask you this morning, is this the kind of life you want to live? Is this the kind of life that you think is fulfilling? Is this the kind of life that you think is sustainable? 
I'm not a botanist, but I know enough to know that plants in the desert are dry and seared and stunted. They are deprived of life-giving water and nutrients in the soil. They are limited. They are shrunken. They are shriveled. Jeremiah tells us that this is the life which trusts in man. If he trusts in himself or even any other human. He says this is choice number one. You can trust in yourself. You can make that choice. You can make that decision. You can continue in the way that you are going without, without thinking much about it. But you will live a stunted life. You will be shrunken and shriveled. You will be deprived of the nutrients of life-giving water and the soil that you're planted in. You will not grow. You will not be, you will not make it. This is what Jeremiah is telling his hearers. But then he says, you do have a second choice. Man can trust in the Lord. You can trust in the Lord. You can trust in yourself or you can trust in the Lord. One or the other, but not both. There's no combo deal when it comes to our faith in God. You choose one or the other. You choose yourself or you choose God. Listen to what Jeremiah says, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. God himself sustains this man. And as well as sustaining this man, he keeps his trust alive. Look at verse 8. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when, it, when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Here's the man. Here's the person who puts their trust in the Lord. He's a man that can take it when, when things get tough and hard. When things become seared and brown. When everyone else is giving up, he remains inwardly strong. He's strengthened by the reservoir of strength that the Lord himself gives him. Why? Because his trust is not only in the Lord, his trust is the Lord. Like the sounds of that kind of life, so much more than the previous description. This is the life that is trusting God. Anyone here today living the life by the stream? Certainly if we have put our trust in God, we are trying to live this kind of life. And if you are, praise God. You're living by the life-giving stream and you're drawing from the life that water gives and the nutrients that comes from that personal relationship with God. But if you are here this morning and you are still trying to trust in yourself and trust in other men and you're still trying to figure it out, then I pray that, your that you will realize that your trust is misplaced and you will always be disappointed and you will always be found wanting. You need to come to Christ. Now, God reveals to Jeremiah what the problem is. Why do we struggle with this? Why, 
Why is it such a hard decision when it comes to trusting in man or trusting in God? It's not just because of what those trusts bring. The disappointment of trust in man and the fulfillment of trust in God. The reason why we struggle with the decision to to make that choice is because of our heart. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 17 and verse 9, the first part. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. This is all he says. But in those two lines, you have the explanation of all the misery and heartache and injustice and evil of life. It all stems from the heart. The heart. The natural life into which we are born has two things wrong with it. Jeremiah first says it's it's desperately corrupt. That means that it can never function as it was originally designed to do. Your heart can never fulfill all that you expect of it. It will never fulfill your ideals or bring you to a place where you can be what you would like to be. It's corrupt. It is fatally flawed and cannot be changed by you. This is the heart you're born with. This is the heart that we, that we come into this world with. And we, in and of ourselves, we cannot change that. Our hearts are corrupt. We're flawed. And ultimately, it is useless and wasted. Therefore, the only thing that it is good for is to be put to death. And that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did with it when he died on the cross. He took our fatal nature, our human nature, and he put it to death because that was all that it was good for. Let me remind you of the beautiful verse in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul wrote. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Many people have trouble at this point. This is the great divide of humanity. You either believe this verse and live the rest of your life in these terms, understanding this fact, or you you deny it and say, it is not true. I do not need help. Man is basically good. I'm basically good. You have a choice. This is why we struggle. It's why we even struggle in our saved life. We struggle because that old self keeps wanting to come up out of the grave. We keep, our old self keeps wanting to come off the cross and we fight it. We fight it with God's help. That's the reason you can't trust in yourself. You would never make the right choice. You would never follow the right path. You would never choose the benefits that Christ can give you. It's only by him and through him that we can be changed. And as if that were not bad enough, the corrupt heart, there's also another quality about it because Jeremiah says it's deceitful above all things. In other words, it never looks really that bad like it is. Our heart has an amazing ability to disguise itself and look good. This is what's so deceitful about it. This is why all through the centuries, men continually keep trying to make it better. 
We always think that we're just a few steps from success. Have you ever felt this way about yourself? I'm only, I'm just a few steps from, I'm just a few steps short of perfection. I know, I know there are a few little things that I can, that I can do. And have you ever noticed when we self-diagnose, it's always just a few little things. Nothing major. Just a few minor aberrations, which if I could correct, I would be a splendid person to live with. You ever feel that way? Then you're suffering from the deceitfulness of the heart. It can look good, and it has an incredible ability to do so. But it is unable to help itself. It is deceitful above all things. Listen to me, folks. If you are sitting here this morning, and you're thinking, or you're watching this morning, you're logged in, you're watching, and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to self-correct. I'm going to take care of those few little things that I think that that need correcting. And I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be just that close to perfection. Listen, folks. If that's what you believe, you are a victim of the deceptiveness of your heart. You will never be good enough. You will never be able to self-correct. You will never be able to muster up enough strength to be good enough for heaven. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth and died and was buried and was raised again. It's because you couldn't do it by yourself. I want you to hear me this morning, folks. This is the heart, and the only book in the world which will tell you this is the Bible. Hear me well, folks. You will never hear, you will never hear what Jeremiah says in any other source. You can research the studies of humanity, and they will never lead you to this revelation. Which men must know. We must know if we're really if we're going to face life as it is really is. No wonder Jeremiah's response was, who can understand it? The heart is deceitful and corrupt above all all things. Who? Who can understand it? It's as if Jeremiah's saying, Lord, if if this be true, how do you expect me to run my own life? How do you expect me to solve my problems? I can't even recognize that I have problems. How do you expect me to know what to do? Look at what God's solution is. Verse 10, I the, Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. God knows what's inside every heart. How alarming it is that these two verses should stand next to one another in Holy Scripture. The heart is deceitful above all things. I, the Lord, search the heart. Doesn't that make you tremble just a little bit? How alarming it is to know that the deceitful above all things heart falls under the seeing all things gaze of Almighty God. 
say, you want to know your heart? And look at what comes out in your life. God is at work. The well will produce water according to its nature. The tree will produce fruit according to its nature. The Lord Jesus taught us, taught us that. And Jeremiah's answer is beautiful. Look at what he says in verse 11. As a partridge that hatches eggs which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days, it will forsake him, and in the end, it will be a food. Jeremiah was quite the keen student of nature. And he had observed the partridge behaves like a surrogate mother, going into another bird's nest to hatch another bird's eggs. The chicks are hatched, but since they were not the partridges, they soon fly away. Jeremiah is saying that it is useless to count on the natural wisdom and natural goodness to enrich your life. If all this is true, then to count on a heart which is desperately corrupt and deceitful above all is a foolish thing to do. And if you build your life, gain your wealth and value and riches on that basis, in the midst of your life, they will abandon you. They will leave you desolate. They will let you down. This is what Jeremiah is saying. That is why trust in yourself, trust in man is never enough. It's always going to disappoint. It's always going to let you down. But on the other hand, look at what Jeremiah says. Verse 12. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. This is where man finds the answer to life, the solution to his problems, the understanding of his own nature, and the supply of his need for a place to go. You see, folks, the good news is, is that you and I can let that old man go. And the place you can go is to God himself. The life of God is available to us in Jesus Christ. Jeremiah's heart and eyes are open to what his people are facing. Look at what he says in verse 13. Oh, the hope of Israel. God, you are the hope of Israel. You are the hope. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. They have chosen the desert over the well. They have chosen spiritual starvation over spiritual nourishment. They have chosen to go the way of evil and the deception of their heart over letting God come in through Jesus Christ and do the corrective a correction necessary on our hearts so that it can be bent toward him and not toward self. You see, the gospel is in the Old Testament as well as the New. These old prophets understood just as much as we do, and so here's Jeremiah's lesson. He stands and prays his beautiful prayer. Look at what he says. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me. I will be saved, for you are my praise. Lord, you can just see, you can see Jeremiah's eyes being opened up. You can see his heart begin to well with hope. Lord, I look at these people, I see these people. They have rejected me. They have rejected your message. They continue to live and wallow in evil. But Lord, there is a way out because you are the hope. You're the one who can save us. Heal me. O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. 
for you are my praise, Lord. This world is not going to do it. The ways of this world and this culture are not going to save me. They, are, they can't. They're going to continue to lead me astray. But Lord, I, I cry out to you. Hear me, folks. The only thing to do with a deceitful and corrupt heart is to cry out to God for mercy. This is what Jeremiah did when he prayed. This is the incurable heart's prayer for a cure. The unsavable heart's prayer for salvation. This is our prayer when we come to understand that we are not going to be able to turn around our situation ourselves. You are the answer, God. You are the answer for today. You are the answer for change. You are the one who can turn this world around. You are the one who can turn my life around. You are the one who can turn my family around. You are the one who can turn my community around. Lord, we cry out to you. We've looked at all the other options, and they have failed us. They have disappointed us. Jeremiah had often pleaded with God for the salvation of his nation. He had prayed that God would turn the hearts of the people back to him, but he also had to plead with God for the healing of his own heart. Listen, folks, this message is for you, not everybody else. Don't look at this message and say, well, oh, so-and-so, if they would just let go of their old deceitful, corrupt heart, if they would just let go of that, they might be, they might be tolerable. No. This is not, what got Jeremiah's heart was God's message to him. Lord, I've tried, I've pleaded. But Lord, I need to cry out to you myself. God not only searches the heart, he knows how to mend it. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit takes a deceitful heart and makes it true to God. He comes into an incurable heart and he heals it from sin. That's what happens when a sinner comes to Christ. A Christian is someone whose heart has been cured by the grace of God. So I want to ask you this morning, has the Lord cured your heart? Your deceitful and curable heart. If he has then be like a tree planted close to the water of life. Stretch your roots toward the, toward the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. And if the Lord has not yet cured your heart, then pray Jeremiah's prayer. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. Because you see, folks, there's only one cure. And his name 